You are now tuned in to the AddictedToSuccess.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next-level game-changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on AddictedToSuccess.com. Now, before we get into this interview, I just want to share with you a few words from our sponsor, Design Crowd. If you haven't heard of Design Crowd, they're an amazing online marketplace that helps businesses outsource their graphics, uh, outsource their logos, their web designs with access to over 472,000 designers around the world. And the cool thing is that within a few hours of submitting your design requirements, you receive 50 to 100 plus designs from designers around the world. So you have the best chance to pick that perfect design for you. You know, I love this option. I use it in my business ventures and projects because it saves me on a few major things in life, such as time and headache of going back and forth with designers. I don't know if you've had that struggle before, but I have. It's also affordable. It's scalable without you even needing an in-house design team, which I love, right? It's it's that flexibility of just going to it whenever you need. So the good folks at Design Crowd are kind enough to offer you as an exclusive Addicted to Success listener, the VIP Custom Design Upgrade Pack which will save you over $100 on a deluxe project for any type of custom design, including logos, business cards, websites, flyers, and emails. So head over to designcrowd.com success, and the promo code is success, S-U-C-C-E-S-S. Okay, now let's get into this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm here today with the man of the hour. This is Ryan Holiday, who is the author of Trust Me, I'm Lying, uh, The Obstacle is the Way, which is an incredible book, and his new book, <laughs> Ego is the Enemy, uh, just came out. I had to think about that. Just I'm reading this book right now, and I'm just like, oh, man, so, there's so much information and so many amazing stories that I'm just like, I feel like my whole world is just in this book right now. So, dude, thank you so much for being here today on the Addicted to Success podcast, and uh, let's dive into uh, Ego is the Enemy. All right, man. You're very kind. I appreciate it. Beautiful. So, first question, man. Why is ego the enemy? Um, there's a lot of reasons, but I, I think when you were saying the title, uh, you're you're sort of you, you wanted to put a the in front, right? Uh-huh. And and so that's the distinction that I'm making. I'm not talking about the ego, like in the Freudian sense. I'm talking mm-hmm. about ego in the in this in the more familiar sense that a lot of us see. That's the Bill Walsh, he has a line, he says, uh, ego is when uh, confidence becomes arrogance. So ego is that, uh, that, that line that we cross when our sort of our confidence, our assuredness, our ambition stops being a, a productive fuel and starts becoming a, a form of self-sabotage. So that's when, we're think, when we think we're better than other people. That's when we think we're better than we are. That's when we, we, in, we become sort of disconnected from reality. And at, at, at least as I've, I've found in my research and in my own life, when we become disconnected from reality, it's hard for us to do the real work that we need to do to, to actually be successful. Yeah, yeah. So what you're saying is there's kind of like a thin line between cocky and confident, right? It's like like ego kind of sits in yeah. between there. Yeah, Aristotle talks about the golden mean. And so he's saying there's a difference between, say, bravery and 
brashness. Bravery is admirable and brashness is dangerous, right? And I'm saying, you know, confidence is based on what's real, right? Like, uh, I'm confident I could run five miles uh, this afternoon because I ran five miles yesterday and I've been training, right? Um, you know, ego is is oh of course i could run a marathon i'm the, i'm the best there ever was right you know it, that's that's when it's it starts to become what we wish was true rather than what actually is true and so i i would say confidence is based on work right confidence is earned and ego is is stolen you know um ego is 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 what we're what we're borrowing uh you know at a very high interest rate yeah interesting interesting so it's it's kind of like uh, kind of ignorance. Like, you know, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, but without having the things to back it up, without having the reference points or the experience to back it up. Yeah, and 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 that feeling is is dangerous in different ways at different points in our career. When we're just starting, if you're, oh yeah, I got this. Of course, this is going to be easy. You know, like when we just start something, we we often underestimate how difficult it's going to be and how much real work is actually required to do that thing. And that's why people quit halfway because it ended up being much harder than they thought. Whereas someone who has who has prepared themselves for the difficulties up ahead, they're more willing to persevere. And then I think what's even more dangerous is once we've actually achieved some semblance of success or we've, we've accomplished something, then we start to think we're invincible, that it can never be taken away from us, that everything we do turns to gold. And that's when we we jeopardize the thing that we just work so hard to do. And, you know, that's when that's when you'll hear someone go, you know, that guy's a real asshole. Uh, you know, and that's that's the kind of person who who implodes and destroys everything that they worked so hard to, to build. Yeah, yeah, that's such a great point. Uh, on, in chapter, I think it's chapter four of your book, uh, the title of that is Don't Be Passionate. And so it's, it's inter- yeah. that's an interesting, it's kind of like a controversial thing, right? Because so many people say, oh, follow your sure. passion and be passionate and you need to have passion and all that. So uh, why, yeah. why don't be passionate? Sure. So I I compare passion again with this sort of spectrum that we're talking about. I compare compassion to or sorry, passion to purpose. Purpose is is organized and deliberate and it's it's aimed at something and and it's it's thought through. Passion I find, you know, and, and you, you find this in, in, in the ancient literature, they, they talk about the passions as being a dangerous thing to avoid. Um, those are those are the sort of the temptations, that's chaos, that's ill discipline. And so what I find um, you know, George Bush was passionate about uh, invading Iraq, right? Uh, Christopher McCandless was passionate about going off into the wild. And then he, you know, he ate some poisonous berries and he died there, right? Um, passion is, is, the, is only part of what you need to be successful. What you also need is a plan. And you need to be able to control that passion and channel it and direct it in a proper way. And so, like, think about it this way. Um, would you want someone if all like if you were hiring someone, you would want them to be more than just passionate. You wouldn't be like, hey, look, you're totally unqualified for this position. Uh, you know, you've you've got uh, ridiculous personal issues. You know, you're you're in, in a mountain of debt. But hey, you're really passionate. Right. You'd be like, look, uh, you can work for someone else. I want a responsible, mature individual who's going to who's going to show up on time and do the job and, and be ready to learn. That's what you want. And I think yeah. you've got to apply that standard to yourself. Yeah. 
No, 100%. You know, it's actually, that's interesting because uh, somebody told me recently this when it comes to relationships. And so you could, you could actually transfer this into, into business and life as well. Uh, he said that love is not enough. When it comes to marriage and long-term relationship, love is not sure. enough. He said, effort is what's required. He's like, I love sure. airplanes, but I don't know how to fly <laughs> one. I love sports right. cars, but I don't know how to fix one. He's like, you need a manual for that. You need to learn. It's like going for your license to, to drive. You got to read about it. You got to sit the test. You got to do the practical. And even then, like, it doesn't mean you're going to pass, right? And so, like, so many That's people get into point. relationships without the effort. And so many people get into business and so on without the effort. It, it's not enough just to love. Yeah. 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 I think, I think, you know, what you want for your career is not just passion, but also, uh, a deep uh, love of the practice and the craft, and you want to have a real goal attached to it. You know, there's lots of passion is great for a hobby, let's say, but yeah. if your livelihood is depending on it, you've got to have something that's gonna gonna put you through the difficult times. Like for a book, for instance, like if you're just this is this is very similar to the relationship thing. If you're just passionate about the idea, that's gonna get you through to like chapter five, let's say. But then the words are gonna stop coming so easily. And and uh, your progress is going to get slowed. And then you're going to get distracted by other things that are going on. And so what you really need is, is something deeper than passion to get you not all the way through to the end, but also through the editing, through the marketing, through the hustle of the, of the sales, you know. And then on to the next book. You've got to, it, it's just got to be deeper than passion. Yeah, yeah. And I know you work your ass off, man. I reached out to you recently to see if you could help with uh, one of my friends for, for – um, to help push to do the PR for the book and you're like dude my plate's full I'm, I'm sorry I'm gonna have to do, you know and I was like well I know Ryan's going in right now he's, he's writing and he's it's yeah I, I mean you write a book and then you've got the marketing and you've got everything else that's around it how did you know that your book was ready like when you're like okay that, that's it I finished that uh, that's a great question because you never really know um and, and what's so hard about a book, too, is that most days you're working on it and the end is nowhere near, right? Nowhere, nowhere near in sight. Like you're when you're on the when you're halfway through, you still can't really even see to the end. So you're you're sitting down and you're working every day on something that you're making like no visible progress on. That's really, really tough. Um, but then then you get to a point where uh, you're like, this is as good as I can do right now. And then that's when you that's when the editing begins and you start to take in feedback from other people. And this is another place where ego can be really dangerous, right? Like you have to know this is the best that I'm capable of right now, but it's not as good as I ultimately want it to be. Otherwise, um, when someone says to you, hey, I don't really like this chapter or have you thought about changing this? That's when you can start to get really defensive and you're like, no, you can't touch this. So so uh, the, after you do your first draft, then then you then you the collaboration begins and you have to have enough confidence to be sure of what, you know, you absolutely need to have in the project. But then enough humility and open mindedness that you can take input and feedback from other people. Um, yeah. So it was probably around a, a year in that I started to get a sense that I was I was getting closer to being done. Then I, I go through the editing and and I took a you know originally the book was 
the intro and the conclusion were flipped, essentially, the, the way the book was organized. And I got enough feedback from people that I, I was open to changing it. And so so the book ended up being restructured in, in a pretty significant way. And then, um, so so I sent you a galley of the book. That's the, the like, a almost done version. Yeah. I'll tell you a story. So I sent, I sent a copy to Tim Ferriss. And uh, typically once, like this is a galley right here. Um, and then this is the final version, right? When it's in this form, you're really not supposed to make very many changes. Like that's, that's sort of supposed to be it. Um, but Tim was like, Tim gave me a long list of a bunch of things that he thought were wrong and that, that needed to be changed. And it, it would have been really easy for me to say, it's too late, the publisher's gonna get mad at me if I, if I ask for these changes. But I really had to look at it and he was right. And, and I would say the book is probably 15% better as a result of those notes. So it's, a, it, it's a, like you do a lot of the heavy lifting all at once and then it's, it's sort of a process of making it 1% better here, 2% better there, and, and you really just chip away way at it until finally um i think steve jobs has said uh you're done when there's nothing left to take away that's sort of where you are with a book too i think yeah wow great advice mate great advice yeah i i feel like um you've got to you've got to always be in the student chair right you've got to be sitting there going okay yeah. I, I don't know everything and that's okay and it's always great to get some feedback from people that you trust obviously tim is He's got the credibility and, and you guys are great friends and you trust his uh, opinion. So that's great, man. Sometimes you swallow your pride, right? It's like, okay, I'm open. I'm yeah, open ears. <laughs> and and that, look, that's another reason for you like to always surround yourself with people who are much better at what you do than you are. Because, you know, when Tim says, hey, you know, you should change this and you like, I might think that sounds like a lot of work. Maybe that's not worth doing. Um, I'm... I'm going to I'm going to override that and trust in him because I want to be I want to accomplish what he's been able to accomplish. And yeah. so, you know, if you're if it, if you don't respect the person's opinion, it's much more difficult for you to take uh feedback from them mm-hmm. and and to 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 put in the work to make those changes. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome, man. So when you're feeling that resistance, maybe a good way to look at it is like okay, he's saying this Am I, does this serve the bigger vision that I have for this book? And if, it, if it's going to improve it, even by just 1%, am I willing to do that? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And then there's another line. I think it's from Neil Gaiman. He was saying, um, when somebody tells you that something's wrong, they're usually right. When someone is telling you why something is wrong, they're usually wrong. So another way to sort of take feedback is like when someone is like, hey, I don't really like the beginning. Here's what you should do instead. Um, it's like you throw out the second part because they, they don't know how to do what you do. But if they're telling you that something's not sitting right with them, it's worth evaluating that and really digging into it and, and making sure that you know you fix whatever they're uncomfortable with because they might be right, but for totally the wrong reason. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I'm going to start using that. That's great. Yeah. It's really good, right? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, question, because this has been my experience yeah. with the whole conversation around ego. Uh, you know, there's, I feel like there's a very big uh, spiritual shift in the world, a very conscious shift that's happening, um, which I'm sure you're feeling too. Uh, a lot of people use the word ego a lot. They like to, oh, it's the ego. Or this is the ego. Or that's the ego. Like I have yeah. some friends that like every second word was the ego, the ego. 
And I'm like, really? Is it the ego all the time? Can it possibly be the ego every time? (laughs) So what's your experience with that? And also uh, like maybe some kind of like myths around it or maybe some annoying conversations that are going on around ego that aren't really necessary right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a. I think we do have uh, some somewhat varying definitions of ego. There's obviously the psychological definition. There's the Freudian definition. There's the more the spiritual definition. I try to use it as an umbrella for any sort of form of of selfishness and self sabotage, right? So to me, ego is when um, you know someone suggests a change, and you're like. Who are you to say that to me? You know, that's ego or, or you know, that, that sort of feeling of smugness or self-satisfaction when you, when you like, I've arrived, I've made it, I'm, I'm fucking good. You know, that, that is a, a feeling that might feel good in the short term, but really doesn't help you accomplish whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. It's, it's not a, it's not a, a feeling that breeds any sort of connection or, um, collaboration with other people. And so um, it, obviously there's other reasons that people make mistakes. It's not all ego. Sometimes people have mental disorders. Sometimes they're scared. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they're, they, they're just uh, bad people, right? So it's not always the ego. But I think generally when we look at, um, when we look at most of the things that we're way too wrapped up in, and that we can't let go and that we can't see objectively, usually ego is there sort of warping our, our perspective. It's preventing us from seeing things clearly, cleanly, you know, open-mindedly. Um, and, and it's like, I guess what I would say is like, what we do is difficult enough, right? Why would we make it harder by introducing this sort of nasty voice whispering in our ear, telling us things that, you know, when we're successful, ego's telling you, hey, you're the best there ever was. Like, you've got this. Like, don't worry about it. Like, everything you do touches the gold. But then also when we fail, when we go through difficulties, ego is whispering, like, they're out to get you. They screwed you over. This isn't fair. Um, you'll, you know, you're, you're ruined. It's whispering these other things in your ear that are making recovering that much harder as well yeah wow so it's kind of like it's on the same volume but it just changes channel depending on where you are in life <laughs> yeah so one of my favorite writers um she's she's uh her name is Anne lamott and she she calls it kfkd it's a radio station she it, it, k fucked is basically <laughs> uh, what she calls it and she's saying that it's whispering and it's pl- like it's playing in the ear of every writer and it's it's whispering that they're the best writer that ev- that that there ever was and it's messing with their work and then other times it's telling them they're the crappiest writer who ever lived and that they're an <laughs> imposter and that everyone hates them and that this is the you got to turn that station off you know and it's the same thing it's like if you read all the positive comments that people post on your stuff and you let it puff you up then you also have to take to heart the negative comments from the trolls who are who are saying nasty things about you. It's better that, you know, you don't you don't pay attention to any of that and you just focus on doing really good work that you're proud of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, uh just talking about books here in the process of writing and getting out of your own way and, and, and putting it yeah. out there. 
uh, I had a conversation with John C. Maxwell. I think he's written something like 72 books. He's a powerhouse yeah, as, he's a, as, a, as an author. Uh, and he said, he said, your first book is probably going to be your worst book. <laughs> he just said, sure. it's like, he's like, you have to start somewhere and you just have to put it out. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, the, the first book that you wrote, how did you feel about that compared to the book you've written now? Like, if you could measure it based off like where your ego was at at the time or your thoughts that were going on? No, that, that's a great question. Uh, obviously, I like parts of it. And then there's other parts that I would totally do differently again. And I think one of the, I'll, I'll tell you a way that ego manifests itself is like when I was writing that book, I, I felt like what I was saying was so important that it had to come out right now. Like, and, and so like that book, uh, we didn't even do galleys for that book because I was like, if, if we don't get this out by this date, like none of it's going to matter. Like, you know, I was just so convinced that it had to come out right away. But in retrospect, you know, considering that book is still selling well today, you know, five years later, obviously I could have waited. And had I waited and I put more time into writing and I'd improved the writing and I'd been a little bit more patient, it might have been a better book. And so one of the things, especially when we're young, we have this impatience and it's a form of ego because we want people to recognize how smart we are. And before the work is out, that can't happen. And so we're, we're rushing to the finish line which would really, if we could see the bigger picture, we'd go, hey, every extra minute that I take on this thing is a half percent improvement in the overall quality. And and so, and, and, and the readers that are like, a, a way to think about it is like, what about people who picked up that book when it ca- came out and they didn't like it because it wasn't good enough? I, I've like lost those people forever or now I have to work really hard to earn them back. And so I think um, what John is saying is, is, is right in the sense that you've got to be you've got to accept that nothing is ever going to be perfect. But at the same time, you want to make sure that you're not so convinced that you've, you've just got everything handled that you rush through and you end up um, putting something out prematurely or, or you know, less than, uh, less than you're really capable of doing. So mm. I, I'm, I'm proud of that book. But like what John is saying is that I'm also proud of the fact that it's my worst book and that I've gotten better with each thing that I've done. Yeah, well, that's great to know. That's really great to know. There's a lot of uh, people listening right now that are looking at publishing books and they're kind of like getting yeah. ready to get ready. So uh, it's great to know that all you're going to do is just keep on keep on improving. You had a unique experience to actually be uh, mentored by uh, Robert Greene as well. Yeah. And I remember you on the last podcast we did, like I think a year and a half ago, you were explaining the process. And I love that process of like the card systems and how you like- yeah. You're like a just mining for gems and gold. It's just like reading through these historical like Bibles and these amazing books to try and find those little things. Um, what have you discovered just through your research with this book um, throughout history? Like what is that one kind of thing where you're like, wow, this is really profound. Maybe it's a story uh, from like a philosopher like uh, Marcus or uh, yeah. this or like Seneca or Aristotle it's just something that really stood out to you like wow this is going in the book for sure yeah well no it's funny because I, I do those note cards like I have a stack here on my desk this is I don't know probably 300 note cards of stuff that I've taken in books that I'm going to use in in stuff that um, 
that I'm I'm gonna do later. Like here's a note card. This is actually something that's in that's in ego. I was reading this this book of letters uh, that was written by that they're letters from Ian Fleming, who was the the British writer who created James Bond, yeah. and he he had like a heart condition and he was in the hospital and the doctor forbade him from having access to a typewriter because he was worried that he would sit down and start writing another book instead of recovering. So he was like, no one is allowed to give him a typewriter. And so uh, Ian Fleming created Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which I had no idea he created. He wrote by hand in the hospital because he didn't have access to a typewriter. Um, And so I, I love this idea that he was stuck in a hospital. He was deprived of the tool that he uses to practice his craft. And he said, well, how could I make use of this time anyway? And he creates one of the most beloved children's stories of all time. And like that. So it's not just that lesson that I think is valuable, but also, you know, I read that book. I marked that page. I wrote it down in a note card. And then that that note card that that was one sentence in a book that's, you know, 60,000 words. But it's the uh, to write a book, you have to accumulate a lot of those sentences. And so my research method, which I learned from Robert, you know, I didn't, I, I, I had a, a head start on in some ways because someone taught me how to make a book. And he basically said, you know, it's an accumulation of the material. And, and you, don't just, you don't just sit down and say, hey, I'm starting a book. Let's see where it goes. You got to make sure you're laying the groundwork and you're doing the research and, and that you've, you've sort of scoured the history books and, and, and the scientific literature or you know, whatever it is. And you've accumulated all this knowledge. And then it's, uh, creating a book is really about putting all those, those pieces together in the right way. Yeah. Ryan, how old are you? I, am tw- I turn 29 next month. Wow. And your first book came out five years ago, right? When you're 24. Yeah, my first book came out right, I think, right after my 24th birthday or 25th birthday. But I sold it. I know I sold it when I was 24. Yeah, there you go. Wow. So anybody that's listening or watching this, it's, it's possible. Even at a young age, it's, it's really like we have so many resources around us. We have books and libraries and YouTube videos and academies and all sorts that we can learn. We can create reference points. We can you know, go out there and study the greats uh, to really master our own craft and write our own story. So, I think, I think that's true. And, you know, we, we, should, we should be aware of how lucky we are. So when I sat down and I wrote that book when I was 24 years old, I went out and I, I sold it to a publisher. I was very fortunate. But I was also fortunate in the sense that if every publisher had said no and I still thought it was a good idea, I still could have published it. You know, that's a, that, the, the self-publishing world that we live in. The fact that, like, you know, I didn't have to get approval from a booker at CNN to have a discussion with you, right? Like, you know, you and I are just talking directly to a large audience. That's totally new. That, that's never existed before in history. And so, like, the idea that every publisher in the world could have rejected this book or my last book or whatever – and then if I'd put in the time to make something great, if I, you know, I funded the project myself and then I developed relationships with people who have audiences who are willing to, to you know, to, to vouch for my work because they liked it, I, I would never just think about all the artists a hundred years ago that wrote amazing stuff that they never got to put in front of an audience because the economics were so different and we don't live in that world. Yeah, yeah.
oh, it's crazy. There's like, there'd be so many people that have gone to their grave where they're just like unheard. And uh, we are, we're so yeah, blessed. And, and, you know, we live in... We live in a world like what James Altucher says, where you can choose yourself. Like you don't have to, it's obviously it's nice if you can get someone to agree to fund your work. If you have a startup, you can get an investor or, or if you have a, uh, you're a musician, you can get signed to a label, but you don't need it. Like you, you only need it if the, if the terms are right. And, and that's very, I, I remember when I was writing my book, um, Tucker Max, who was, who was an author that I worked for and he'd been a, a mentor to me for a long time. He was like, the best part of this is that you know you don't have to worry about this not finding an audience because one way or another you'll be able to reach people and that that's very freeing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I think I believe myself that this book is going to be bigger than your other books. I Thank just, you, man. I, I hope so. There's a lot of interest around this. I shared a uh, like a. It's kind of like a selfie of me holding the book, and it got a lot of engagement. A lot of people wanted to to read it so uh i'm excited for you man this is a this is a hot topic and it's it's you know it's needed and especially in the way that you write i told you just before this interview you're you're, uh, like you know my friend as shah says as well you're a writer's writer uh and you can tell you know some people write a book because they kind of want their popularity and they want to be speaking on stage and you care about the craft you know you wrote this book for two years some people write one in six months or get it ghost written which i don't agree with I think it'd be great to write it yourself. Um, but yeah, you, you've done the work and uh, it's going to shine through for sure. Well, th- thank you. That, that means a lot to me. I mean, um, I think w- one of the things I talk about in this book and I, I'm, I'm trying to live that is that, you know, at the end of the day, all you control is the work that you put into the project itself. Like you don't, you don't control whether people are going to like it or not. Obviously, you want them to like it and you want to work hard, you know, to market it and get in front of an audience. But like one of the things that I think is important for people to keep in mind, if you're if you're pursuing some sort of creative, uh, you know, calling as your career is that you have to be able to be like, I also have to be happy with a world in which this book only sells one copy. Like, you know, like, let's say you're the only person that that read it, right? I have to go like, that's enough. Because like, I know that I did a good job and one person liked it. That's all that I can hope for, right? And then if you have that attitude, then if two people read it, you feel lucky. And if three people read it or a thousand people read it, you feel like, you know, the luckiest guy in the world. And, and that's, that's hard to do. But if you can conquer your ego and think about it that way, then everything that happens is good news and there's no really such thing as bad disappointing news like i don't want to be in a position where i ever feel like oh that book was a total failure because you know it didn't accomplish some arbitrary goal yeah 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 on point man that's right ryan after researching and writing this book because i feel like when you're writing a book you're learning so much not just about everything else but yourself as well because you have to often reflect on your own life right yeah um, knowing what you know now from writing this book, what are you implementing in your day-to-day practices or just kind of how you show up in the world? What are you, what are you doing now that's different to how you were showing up before you wrote this book? Yeah, that, that is something I've, I've had to work on because, you know, you can't one – the, one of the best parts about writing a book, if you, if you bite off, you know, some, more than you can chew is it forces you to get better – in order to address the material, right? So it's like I wrote a book about stoicism. I can't complain about anything anymore because, <laughs> like that, my whole book was about how you don't get to do that. 
And so this book has certainly challenged my own ego in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, I have a quote in the book from Bertrand Russell where he's saying, um, you know, the belief, uh, a sign of an impending nervous breakdown is the belief that your work is incredibly important. And so one of the things, like this book was so difficult and so trying that a, a, a couple times I just had to go, you know what? It's just a book, man. Like it's not, the, you know, I'm not writing, uh, I'm not writing the Bible here. You know, this isn't the declaration of independence. Like no lives are hanging in the balance here. I just got to relax. So it's helped me, you know, not take things so seriously. And then one of the things that I took out of it is, is, um, the need to spend a lot more time, you know, sort of doing nothing, like not like hanging around, but like, time taking a walk in the woods or, you know, in beautiful places in nature, places where, you know, like walking along a, a beach at, in the middle of the night, it's hard to feel full of yourself when that's happening. Or, you know, on top of a mountain, it's hard to feel like you're a special, important person because you see really just how small you are compared to the sort of majesty of, of what surrounds you. And so, um, you know, spending more time in nature, having more stillness in my life has been really good. And then, you know, just realizing that although what I do is important to me, it is not nearly as important as other things in life. And that's been that's been some very helpful balance for me. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I agree 100 percent. I'm right now I'm living in Santa Barbara out in the mountains and I can see I don't know if we can spin this around real quick. And if you can see that, but. Oh man, that's that's quite a view. It's pretty freaking epic, man. Uh, you know, there's the ocean and the, the valleys, and you know, I sit out there and I meditate, uh, you know, from time yeah. to time. And uh, do you practice meditation? Because I'm sure in your studies that probably I came do, up a lot, right? I, I do a fair amount of, of meditating, and I think it's hard to have ego when you're focused exclusively on the present moment, you know. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's been helpful is it's like having something else in my life that's really important to me like this relationship it it's like hey like if i write this book and it's amazing but it comes at the cost of my personal happiness if it's causing pain to this other person that i'm with or it it ruins uh my relationship can i really say that i was successful is that really winning and so that balance has been helpful to me too it's like you always have this other person there who can sort of remind you like hey uh you know, you're not as important as you think you are. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, when you when you remove the whole thing about just yourself, that's when it yeah it becomes a bit easier to operate from a place of less ego for sure. Uh, totally. What would what would be your if you could lay out kind of just a few practical steps or kind of like some steps that people can implement right now so they can start noticing or identifying if they're operating from the ego. Uh, or even just some things where they can exercises that they can start implementing to start operating from a better place. Uh, what would that be? Yeah. So one of my favorite ones in the book it, it comes from Frank Shamrock, who's a who is a sort of a pioneer of mixed martial arts. He's a UFC champion. In his uh, in his martial arts school, he teaches on a model that he calls plus minus or equal. And so that means that every fighter needs to be training with someone who's better than them someone who's equal to them and someone who they're working with that they're better than. And so it's, you know, you're butting up against this person who can who can outthink you in every way, who's able to anticipate what you're doing and, and show you what you're doing wrong. Then you're also being challenged every day with someone equally matched to you. So you're, you're able to, to sort of, uh, you know, 
you're able to feel accomplishment and victory and you're also able to 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 challenge yourself and, and sort of see a mirror image of yourself but then also you're able to pass on these lessons to another person and sometimes you know the best way to to learn something is to try to teach it to someone else and so i found that that like you should have enough people in your life you should have that plus minus or equal in your own life too in your job you should have it you know in your personal life you should have it when your friends you should have have it and so that that was a, a really big lesson for me that I that I really liked um, I, I think uh, you know I, I talked about a live time earlier this idea of a live time versus dead time is a lesson I got from Robert Greene that's been really important for me he's basically saying is like you know at any moment whether you're stuck in traffic or you're stuck in a dead-end job that you're waiting to get out of or you know maybe you're you've got a year left on a contract or a tour of duty with the with with the army or something, you've got to decide, hey, is this going to be dead time for me that I'm going to waste? Or is this going to be a live time that I'm going to make the most of it? And oftentimes we waste time out of ego. You know, it's like we're sitting in traffic and we're like, I hate this traffic. This sucks. You know, and you spend that time complaining instead of picking up the phone and having a smart conversation with someone or, you know, doing some thinking about something you've been dealing with or, 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 or whatever. And so, um, I would say those are two really big exercises that have helped. Like, like I know, like, you know, I'm supposed to meet someone there and they're 30 minutes late. Am I going to spend 30 minutes complaining about what a jerk, a rude jerk they are? Or I'm going to say, hey, I got 30 minutes to read and I'm going to read on, uh, you know, on my phone or on a book or something. And, yeah. and, and so I've, I've tried to make myself as productive as possible and as open-minded as possible. Um, and, and also to surround myself by people and relationships that inherently challenge and suppress my ego as well. Yeah, that's such a great point. You know, I remember reading this morning, uh, my friend Alexi shared this picture quote and it said, um, was it really a bad day or did you just milk the last five minutes? <laughs> uh, was it really a bad day or did you just milk the last, your whole day off the, a five minute like problem or something yeah, like yeah. that, right? <laughs> to- totally. It's like, Hey, just because something, it's like the Stoics are always saying, it's like you choose the ending to every story, you know? And so it's like, if someone is rude to you at breakfast, you don't get to, you're deciding whether that ruins your day or not. You have the ability to make it an insignificant occurrence that, you know, doesn't matter in the big scheme of things, but you choose if you're going to carry that through the rest of your day and, and not make productive use of the other 23 hours that you have yeah yeah 100 percent. and this is the thing right we we give that a meaning and so like when you hold it as a yeah. meaning it then becomes after a while if you keep saying that that's what it is it becomes a mood and you get put into this mood and over time sure. it solidifies into a belief and all of a sudden it's running yes. your life it's in your unconscious and it's part of your programming and it's just ruling you and not serving you so we're going to be really careful. Well, and it's not just a belief. It's, it's you're making decisions based on that belief, which have a yeah. real impact, right? So it's yeah. like if you're in a bad mood, so you're rude to someone that works for you, and then that person doesn't work as hard, and then they make a mistake, that has real consequences for you and your business. And so it becomes a, 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 you know, sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy is, is we're mad about something, so we behave in egotistical or selfish or negative or nasty ways. And then all of a sudden we're, things really are bad. You know, we are really causing difficult circumstances and, and, and nasty encounters with other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. 
how would you say we could have a, a better relationship with our ego? Because it's, it's always there, right? It's always there. So how can we have a better relationship? I, I with guess, it? I mean, I think when you make the distinction between ego and confidence and you say, okay, ego adds nothing. I'm going to be confident, but I want to be confident in the right things. I want to yeah. be confident in the fact that I put, uh, like there's a Michael Bloomberg quote where he said, you might be smarter than me, but I can outwork you. So he's taking pride in something that he controls. We don't control, you know, our IQ so much as we, to the degree that we control how many hours we put into something. So it's like, if you're going to feel pride, feel pride in the fact that you worked harder than everyone else. You know, um, if you're going to if you're going to feel confident, feel confident in the fact that, hey, you did more research than everyone else. You put more time into it than anyone else. You want this better or more than anyone else. And so I think in that way, uh, you can say like ego adds nothing but confidence and assuredness and 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 wisdom. These are these are better emotions and, and sort of better traits to encourage. Yeah. Yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, we're approaching the end of this interview. Uh, how can we get our hands on your book? Yeah, so the, the book should be available everywhere. Um, it's called Ego is the Enemy. It's published in, it's already going to be published in a, in a handful of different languages, but you can find it on Amazon. You can go to my website, ryanholiday.net. Um, and I'm also at Ryan Holiday on Twitter and Instagram. Wonderful. Thanks, Ryan. Now, Ryan, we end dude, every so interview. Much. Yeah, thanks, dude. We uh we end every interview with uh this question, and the question is: If you were to deliver your last thirty seconds speech to the world, uh, what would that last thirty seconds sound like? Oh man, that's a that's a great question. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> there's a there's a line from from Kurt Vonnegut where he's saying. Uh, Hey, he basically says, look, there's a whole lot of rules and, and, and advice in life, but basically it just comes down to you got to be kind, um, which I really like. Um, and then if I were to add something to that, I, would, I, I love this line from the Stoics. The Stoics basically say, um, you don't control what happens to you, you control how you respond. And so I think if I can leave, like, let's say I was giving that 30 seconds, let's say I had 30 seconds left in my life, you know, I'd been given some terminal diagnosis, or I was about to be executed or whatever. I don't control that fact. I don't control the fact that my life is going to end in 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. But I do control how I'm going to spend those 30 seconds. And maybe I'm going to spend them, you know, passing on some word of advice or whatever. And so I try to live my life that way. The idea that, hey, uh, when this happens, or that happens, that's not on me. How I deal with it—that's totally on me, and that's where I'm going to focus my my energy and my effort and my my beliefs. Yeah, beautiful, Ryan. Ryan, you're a champion. Thanks, thanks man. man. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your advice. And uh, thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, I can't wait to to finish your book too, man. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, just end this.